Well, this evening, I'm going to do a second part to this Ezekiel uh, supplement that uh, we started last week. And uh, the reason that I wanted to do this had to do with uh, this one particular issue of when the earth and the heavens will change. Because we know through the time of our study of chapters 40 through 49 of Ezekiel, we enter into a study of the temple, the messianic temple that is going to be in Jerusalem, uh, the temple that is going to be built by the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, but as we continue to study through those nine chapters, chapters 40 through 48, we, we discovered that the topography at the very onset was changed. The topography of the land, in other words. Uh, and, and then, the more we got into it, the more we realized that the city itself, uh, especially what will be considered the Temple Mount of that time, was higher than all the other mountains around it. Which we know is different topography because those of us that have been to Israel and been to the city of, of Jerusalem, realize that there are hills and, and, and other hills that are taller. You can actually look down into the Temple Mount and onto the old city of Jerusalem. So we realize then that uh, when it speaks of it as being the highest mountain and the highest place, then there had to have been some change made before the Millennial Kingdom began. The Millennial Kingdom being the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, a literal thousand years uh, that will last until, you know, that, that whole time. And then at that point, uh, then of course, other things will happen. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we get to it. But the question has always been, well, when does the heavens and the earth uh, get dissolved as Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter three. So let's go back to 2 Peter three just to kind of get back rolling into this, this particular investigation, because that's what we're doing. We're just investigating a certain thing that's happening in a certain time and when it should happen. Because most people will, will say, and most commentators will actually look at the, the last part of Revelation chapters 20 through 22, and they'll look at it very chronologically, and they'll say, well, when, when John sees the, when, when John sees the um, in, in chapter 21, verse 1, the new heaven and the new earth, obviously that must be at the end of the, of the thousand year reign. But hold on to your hats. That may not be what, what uh, it is. So, but, you know, and I'm not trying to dispute. Uh, this is not a matter of disputation. Because here's another thing we need to remember. This hasn't happened yet. So there's things that'll happen. I mean, you know, we're, we're also waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the rapture of the church, waiting for all these things. And some people say, well, it's not going to be until the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation, whatever. Everybody's got an idea. We're going to know when it happens. But this would be good for us to kind of exercise ourselves into looking at certain things that sometimes can be overlooked. So anyway, 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 14. Father, help us in our study this evening to, to really get a grip on, on, on certain issues 
that we read about and that we study and, and based upon certain things that are facts, certain things that are true, certain things that you have established for us to have somewhat of a timeline. And that's what we're looking for, Lord. Just help us with that. Fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, we focused our attention on the day of the Lord last week, and it's really important. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which, now notice what he says, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The heavens will pass away. I mean, you know, we look at passing away as kind of dying, right? Well, in some way, that is what he is saying. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. Obviously, the elements of, of all that is created out in the heavens. Because then he says, the earth also. So the earth is included, but it's not, in other words, it's not like the elements on the earth. It is the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So yeah, the elements on the earth will melt also. But he is describing the heavens, and he gives us that one little clue that there's going to be more than just what we consider heaven. Now, when you and I think about heaven, we think of clouds. You know, so how do you destroy a lot of clouds? So obviously there's some kind of substance in the heavens, and, and we know from the scriptures that there's all kinds of heavens, right? There's atmospheric heaven, and then there's a, a, you know, heaven beyond that, and, and, and then the heavens in, in the uh, um, atmosphere above the atmospheres and all of that. Okay, so, but then there are things out in the heavens, and those are physical bodies, and they'll be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct or conversation and godliness, looking for and hasten unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth. Now notice what he says. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. So our conduct on earth is very important as we look for the coming of the day of Christ, as we also look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, because that's coming soon after the rapture of the church, at least seven years after the rapture of the church. Okay, so with that in mind, I'd like to have you turn to Isaiah chapter 40. This is the second part of our reading. I know it said a revelation up there, and we're going to get to that. In fact, we're going, to, we're going to spend as much time as we can in chapter 16 through 22. That means that we could be here till 3 in the morning. But uh, not really. Just kidding. Just trying to see if you're awake. Verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Now this is uh, significant in that the, the children of Israel and the children of Judah have disobeyed God. They've been rebellious against God. They've been put into uh, captivity. They've become slaves of others because of their uh, rebelliousness. Yet the Lord is saying, yet I will restore my people. So there is the hope of comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. There is coming a time when all of the things that they've gone through, all of that's coming to an end, even their biggest struggles, and their warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. Finally, their sin will be pardoned. Read Daniel chapter 9, 
and uh, verses uh, 24 to 27. Uh, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that, that is quite telling, isn't it? She's received double for all her sins, uh, which means, of course, that there are those who just receive uh, pardon for their sins, but they, they're going to receive double. Uh, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Now this is where I want you to pick up here. Very, very important. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Verse 3 that we just read, that was, an, that was a, a, a prophecy of John the Baptist. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But then notice in verse 4, right after that prophecy though, it says, Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked places, or the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is of the, as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. Now, where is this in relation to, to time? Where is this in relation to prophecy? Where is all of this? Oh, Jerusalem. Uh, uh, yeah, verse 9. Oh, Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. Oh, Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. So already there's this picture of, 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 a, of a messianic kingdom. The high mountain, in other words, the high mountain is already set in place. And then he says to all, behold, your God. Well, who's on the mountain? And the other question is, what's on the mountain? The temple. See, okay. So keep that in mind. Let's read on. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Who's going to be ruling on the earth for a thousand years? The right arm of God, Jesus. Uh, behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Who does that tell us it is? That's Jesus. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with you. <laughs> Excuse me. So, in our desire to examine the possibility that the events described in 2 Peter could take place at the end of the tribulation period instead of the end of the millennium as many consider, we established a foundation of scriptural days that show an ordered consistency in prophetic fulfillment. We began with the fact that we are still living in a, in a time known as the age or day of grace. This is last week, a quick, quick review. We are still living in a time known as the age or day of grace, which runs concurrent with the day of man's judgment, which means we're living in a time where man is ruling, man's judgments are being made. And then it's also concurrent with the day of salvation because today is still and now is the day of salvation as the scripture says. These days will be followed then by, or followed next by the day of Christ. 
And we said the day of Christ, of course, is the day of the rapture of the church, the day that Jesus promised in John 14, verses 1 through 3, and what Paul, taking what Jesus had promised in John 14, 1 through 3, and making it a very clear uh, a picture to the Thessalonian church, he writes 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And he makes it very clear then that that is exactly the same thing that Jesus was talking about. The, the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, there'll be a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel, trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, resurrection. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. That's rapture. That's, uh, that's the, the day of Christ. But that day of Christ, remember, that day of Christ initiates the time of Jacob's trouble. And don't forget that all the prophecy revolves around the nation of Israel. Israel is at the center of all biblical prophecy. If Israel is not at the center of all biblical prophecy, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation would be just an incredible mess. A mess in our minds. And this is what we're trying to avoid at the end here. To kind of get into some mess where everybody says, well, yeah, there's going to be this destruction of heaven and earth at the very end of everything. And then all of a sudden there's this new heaven and new earth. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, everything is, is cool. Well, but, that, but that's almost an impossibility if you look at all of the scriptures together. So in any, effect, uh, in any event, the, the time of Jacob's trouble, of course, is the completion of God's chastisement upon the nation of Israel, which I referred to in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, that we need to go back and check about. Now, it's also that time period that we call the day of the Lord. So that, that day then, in its end time fullness, as it is called the day of the Lord, well, we discovered last time that that day of the Lord is a day not of, of some great thing, but yeah, great in one sense, it's not great in a good sense, it's great in a terrible sense. Because we discovered that the day of the Lord is a day of great deception. The day of the Lord is a day of great darkness. And, and so I want to continue to lay that foundation just a little bit more. So the day of the Lord then will also be a day of great distress. The day of the Lord will be a day of great distress as stated in Zephaniah chapter 1. Now, Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. It's a little short book, real little. It's in there, but look it up. If you have to, go to the table of contents in your Bible and find it because you want to mark these verses down. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 17 says, The great day of the Lord is near. Now, see, understand that when we speak in English, most of the time when we use the word great, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're like Tony the Tiger. They're great, you know. It's always something good that we're, we're saying is a, is a good thing. But the word great in the, in the prophetic sense, in the biblical sense, can mean that. Well, not Tony the Tiger, but it can mean good things, but it can also mean a, a, a great warning, too, of, 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 of heavier things uh, uh, to deal with. Uh, and, and, and that the Lord will have to... Uh, deal with uh, by his might and power which of course is the day of the Lord it is the day of many many things which we're going to try to define as we go the great day of the Lord is near it is near and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord the mighty man shall cry there bitterly there are a lot of people that kind of Make it seem like they could, they could endure anything today, you know. You got the people with all the muscles and you got all the 
you know, the, you got that, you got that superhero mindset in people today, and you know, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna deter us from, you know, what we want to get, what we want to have. The day of the Lord is gonna make big, mighty men cry. Think about that for just a minute. That day is a day of wrath. Notice, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloud and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet, trumpets that sounded warning, an alarm against the fenced cities, against the high towers, and I will bring distress upon men. Notice, God is saying, I'm gonna bring distress. Everybody who thinks that they're gods, everybody who thinks that they are better than, a, than me as God will have to learn this terrible lesson. He says, I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. It's not a pretty picture, is it? In Luke 21, verses 25 and 26, and we've used this before, and we've, we've used it, quoted it, probably quoted last week as well. In verse 25, it says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, what? Distress of nations. Are nations distressing today because of the United States of America? Are they distressing today because of Russia? Are they distressing today because of the armaments that are, are being found in places like North Korea and Iran and other places? Are, are people being distressed over those things? They definitely are. Nations are. There were some smaller nations, you know, in the, in the Baltic regions that were having a meeting with President Trump just recently, even on the news today or yesterday. And they were all saying, you know, they were, they were, they were sounding like, yeah, we're really glad we're friends with America. <laughs> we're really glad. And the reason why they said it is because if we weren't there for them, they'd be in distress. They're still in distress. We're in distress in this nation because of this, this political garbage that's going on in, in, in our own country. But praise God that no matter what's going on, God's still in control. So it's not for us to, to be distressed about it. We, you know, we're studying the word of God. We're saying, well, this is what's happening. So we can rejoice because God's in control, not because you know, we, we have to be distressing. I mean, our hearts are a burden for the people that are hurting. And we should try to lead them to Jesus you know, and bring them to, to, you know, to that uh, salvation that uh, will give them the hope. So it's called upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. I mean, they're perplexed. They're just like, I don't know what's going on. The sea and the waves were roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for, the, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I mean, everybody, you know, I think I mentioned it the other day, they're looking for all of these asteroids you know, to hit the earth, whatever. Well, hey, it might happen, but we're not going to worry about that. The Lord's in control. The day moves from being a day of distress to one of being a great geological disaster. We talked a little bit about that last time, but let me, let, let's, let's bring it closer, you know, to home here. Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17. At the opening of the, of the sixth seal, it says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And these are the earlier judgments, by the way, not the later judgments, but the earlier judgments. 
And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, when is this happening, folks? Is this happening at the end of the millennial kingdom? Or is it being described as happening in the time of great tribulation? Or in the time of the seven-year period of tribulation? Well, the book of, the, the book of Revel, Revelation is very clear that it is describing for us that great day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period. This is within those seven years. The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. In other words, it was rolled up and gone. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Notice it doesn't say some, but every. What is that telling us? That's telling us of, a, of, of geological disasters, if you will. But nonetheless, there's already certain topographical changes being made to the earth. Earlier than after the millennial kingdom. And then it says, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman which is a slave and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? That is not the day or the thousand year reign of Christ. That is the day of tribulation, the day of wrath, the day of darkness, the day of, of doom. So if these things are happening to such a degree during the tribulation, then it appears that, there, that this is a, a long way from the end of Christ's thousand year reign, isn't it? I mean, let's add, let's add just one more layer to this. Let's add one more layer. The day of the Lord will be a great, a day of great global destruction. A day of great global destruction. Let's go to Isaiah 13, if you will. I'm giving you a lot of scripture here. We're going to, uh, you know, we're going to cover as much ground as we can. But Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 13. It says, How ye... For the day of the Lord is at hand. That's an interesting statement. Howl ye. Because normally it's just animals that howl, right? It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Uh, Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint. And every man's heart shall melt. Just like Jesus said in, in, in Luke 21. Men's heart will fail them, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. Do you, do you ever wonder why it is that some people today don't fear what's happening? Because that's, that's, uh, that's kind of a common attitude in, in, in our Western society. You know, if we, we, we get in a, into a position where we, you know, we don't fear anything, uh, you even see shirts, fear nothing, you know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, no fear, 
I think that was what it used to be, you know, no fear, you know. But you better read the Bible because they're supposed to, there, there are two kinds of fears. There's the fear that we have that's kind of a fear of terror or a fear of horror. But there's also the fear of reverence, the fear of God. But everybody seems to lump all fears together as one and just say, we don't have any fear of anybody. If they don't have fear of God, besides, with that attitude, they don't have to believe that God even exists. And yet, they're going to, they're going to see, just like as we read in the book of Revelation just a, a while ago, they're going to see, they, they said, fall on us and hide us from the one. They're going to see God. So, yeah, there's going to be a great amount of fear. Why aren't people fearing today? Look at all these. Look at the shooting from yesterday and, uh, you know, up in, uh, at the uh, YouTube uh, headquarters uh, and, you know, all the other shootings that we've been seeing happen. And the way people, you know, the people are gunning down law enforcement people. I mean, it's just over and over every day. There's just this... There's, there's, there's no remorse, there's no heart, there's, there's no heart there. It's like there's just this vacuum in people. And they shall be afraid, it says. God is saying, you know what, you're not afraid now, but you're going to have a day when I'm, I'm, I'm going to scare you. Now, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm talking about God in a, in a way like he's trying to be a boogeyman. He's not. God is holy. God is righteous, God is just, and God is true. He's who, this, is who is, this is who God is. But what does he have to do to get our attention? Well, he knows exactly what he has to do. That's why we should bow before him at every opportunity. Verse 8, they shall be afraid, pangs of sorrow shall take hold of them, they shall be in pain as a woman that travails, they shall be amazed at one at another, their faces shall be as flames. And then it says, behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. The other thing we need to know about God is that he's not just doing this capriciously, he's not doing it just out of a whim, man. he's doing it because he's warned people and warned people and warned people, get right with me, return to me, come to me, remember who I am. Come to, who, to know who I am so that you can escape this great and, 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 and terrible day. The warnings have been given. Warnings are given all the time. So he says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger. Cruel because God's cruel? No. Cruel because people don't listen. Cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. The moon shall not cause their light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. But then notice verse 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Before the millennium or after the millennium? I should have asked after the millennium or before the millennium? 
In Joel chapter 1, verse 15, notice it says, also for the day, I'm sorry, also, alas for the day, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Great global destruction. We know 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, what is the day of the Lord? Seven-year tribulation or that, that extended time of God's wrath. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We shall escape if we are believers in Jesus Christ, but they shall not. They who cry peace and safety. We want peace and safety on this earth. Sudden destruction will come because their hearts are for the earth and not for God. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, very simple. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that has been given and, 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 and made sure that everybody would be able to receive it, but, you know, you receive it or you don't. And then it says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice, destruction everlasting from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is signaling, of course, the day of the Lord, not the millennium. Revelation 16, verses 18 through 21. I want you to keep your finger here because we do come back to this later. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island, now notice this, every island fled away and the mountains were not found. So is this just colorful language? Is, is this just uh, some kind of metaphoric type language, you know, uh, analogy of some sort? Or is this here to remind us when these things are going to happen. Because it's talking about the day of the Lord. It's not talking about the millennium. Even toward the end of the millennium. It says, Every island fled away, the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Do you know what a talent is? 125 pounds. Every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now these are, those who are blaspheming God are the very ones who say there is no God. That's why when you read Romans chapter 1 and it talks about the fact that it says that, that everybody knows that there's a God. They know it because of what they see. But they refuse to believe it because of what they want. They want to be God themselves. That's the problem. The day of the Lord will be a day of great grisly death. Great grisly death. Revelation 6 verse 8 says, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. The pale horse color has, is just a, uh, it's a picture of death. And if you've ever seen death, uh, it, it changes the color of a person. And his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword 
and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Going to Revelation 9, verses 15 and 16, it says, And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. That's a lot of people, the third part. Think about this. If you, let's, just say there is nine, let's just say there are nine billion people on the earth. A third of that would be three billion people. Uh, three billion people, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 or 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Revelation 13, verse 7 says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Well, how do you overcome if you don't kill? And of course, it's talking about the saints being the saints of the tribulation period. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Verse 15, Revelation 13, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, uh, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And of course, all of that is going to take place in Jerusalem and Israel. Now, it is important to note that these are just general descriptions of the great day of the Lord. And I wanted to cover as many of them as, as possible. But there are a number of greater and more specific details in Scripture about that great day, but... Suffice it to say that we have enough information now to at least develop the premise for the events of 2 Peter happening before the millennium, before the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, I'd like to, like to have you go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, but we're not going to go to verse 10 yet. I want you to go earlier than that. I want you to go to verse 3. I want you to go to verse 3, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. And it says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, the first thing that we have in mind is that, that those scoffers are really outside of the church. It's all the unbelievers, you know, saying to people who believe in the coming of the Lord, oh, you're just, you know, you're just, you guys are just crazy. They mock you and, and, and whatnot. But I have to tell you that the reality is that many of those scoffers are in the church as well. And that's the sad thing. And the reason that they're scoffing, those of us who believe in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, are doing so because they're being taught that all prophecies already been fulfilled. There are many denominations and many groups that... Uh, Hold to that position. It's called the preterist position of, of, uh, of, of end times. The preterist is somebody who says, well, all of the prophecies have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled by 70 AD, maybe a little bit after that as well, but, but no, there, there, there's no more prophecy to be fulfilled. And that's just, that's just wrong. After what we've read today, after what we know is happening in the world today, after we know that God has raised up and fulfilled his, his promise to raise up a, a people out of, the, out of the, 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 the fires of the Holocaust and bring together a nation again, it, the, um, the miracle of Israel that it is, so that the end time prophecies can be fulfilled, 
And to say that, all, that there is no real good Israel today, that the Israel there is just a precious, uh, made up of oppressors and, and all kinds of, you know, hey, as far as I'm concerned, when, when you get the whole United Nations condemning Israel all the time, that tells me enough. That tells me that God is right and that God is true and that his word is true. When the world uh, attacks what God has made, so, anyway. So, they say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But notice what, what Peter says. He says, for this they willingly are ignorant of. They're willingly ignorant. They choose to be ignorant. That by the word of God, notice, he makes it very clear. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, by the way, before the flood, the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. There are people even in the church today that don't believe in, 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 a, in a universal flood. They've decided to believe Darwin. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now, the now, heaven and the earth, by the same word, notice, by the same word of God, are kept in store. This world and that heaven, the heavens of today, are being reserved, notice, unto what? Unto fire. Why fire? Because God will not destroy the earth with water again. That's the promise of the rainbow. And by the way, the rainbow is a promise of God, not a flag to represent homosexuality. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So they choose to reject the word of God. And then you can go down to verse 10 where it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens, the now heavens, shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, the now earth, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So, while the day of the Lord can be considered to be the day of the Lord's revenge against his adversaries, while the day of the Lord can be considered to be the day of the Lord's revelation of himself, the day of the Lord's refining of his people Israel, the day of the Lord's reaction against all who have sinned against him, this passage in 2 Peter clearly describes the day as the Lord's renovation. The Lord's renovation of the heavens and the earth as we know it. I had mentioned previously that there were Old Testament quotations that pointed to the fact that the millennial reign of Christ would follow the destruction of the planet. It is, of course, possible that we've touched on a few already, as I intended to do, by the way. But let's turn to Isaiah once again. Let's go to Isaiah 40, because that was part of our reading earlier. Isaiah 40. And just... With what we have already read, consider what is being said here. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We said that's about John the Baptist. 
Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. That certainly sounds like uh, topography changing and the crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the goodliness thereof is, of, is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now, while we should know that this was the prophecy concerning the forerunner of the, uh, to the Messiah, John the Baptist, you should know it because I've already mentioned it twice to you, but even before then, you should have known that. And his voice was the one calling the nation of Israel back to its proper relationship with God. That's what his voice was doing. He was calling out to Israel to return to the God of, of Israel. We should also know then that the prophecy was more than just predicting that John would make a highway for Jesus and make his path straight. It was a lot more than that. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. Because this ties the prophecy to John the Baptist, number one. I just want to make this clear. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that is spoken of by the prophet Esaias, Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that he was predicting John to be that voice preparing Israel for its Messiah. Presently at that time. But Isaiah was also foreseeing the coming of the millennial kingdom. He was foreseeing the coming of the millennial kingdom. Look at, go back to Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. I know that we've touched upon this, but, but let's get this really clear. Because when he goes to verse 9, he says, O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain." O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid, saying unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Judah is saying, Look up here. Remember how we talked about going to Israel and every, from every direction you always go up to Jerusalem? You never go down to Jerusalem? That, that's, that's to say that you're always going up to worship. You're always going up from whatever direction you come. You go up to worship. Now, the reality of, 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 the, uh, of the millennial kingdom is you really have to go up from every direction to worship because it's going to be higher than every place that there is, even higher than Everest because Everest won't be as high as it is today. The mountains will be made low. The city of our God will be made high. O Jerusalem, bring, that bring his good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. He says, Behold your God. Verse 10. Behold the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him. And then as we said, verse 11 speaks of the person of Jesus. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, the good shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms. Or with his arm, not his arms, with his arm. And carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are within the very character of the Messiah is going to come out as, as he rules and reigns for a thousand years. 
But notice, if you will, go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. As early as Isaiah chapter 2, even after Isaiah has already spoken about the sins of Israel, in this particular case, the sins of Judah, he says in verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days. What is that? That's the last days would be certainly within the time of the tribulation or after the tribulation. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. That's not the end of the millennium, right? Because it mentions the day of the Lord. The last days is part of the day of the Lord. As Peter mentioned, the day of the Lord, you know, has these particular significances to them. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Where did we learn that? Our study in the book of Ezekiel. See, now we're back to Ezekiel, okay? And all nations shall flow unto it, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hoods. This is the millennium. Going into the millennium, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. It would not be as sufficient a picture of the house of the Lord being established in the top of the mountains, as it says, if the topography was not changed drastically before. The passage suggests strongly in the word top. Do you want to know what the Hebrew word is? You've heard it before. The Hebrew word for top is rosh. Rosh. Rosh Hashanah. That's the new year. Rosh is the chief, the first, the head, above all in height, the highest. That's what that word means. In context, that it is indeed the highest and exalted above all the others. So there's that suggestion in that particular word. And the nations flowing to it is another indication that the millennial kingdom is being described. But the book of Revelation will also support this. Remember that in chapters 4 through 22, and I have to say 4 through 22, we're not going to study all of them tonight because we'd be here till next week. But in, four, in chapters 4 through 22 of Revelation, not all events are in chronological order. Actually, the events go back and forth. Take, for example, the, the three types of judgments. You have the, um, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the vile judgments. They kind of share certain time frames within the seven-year period of tribulation. So in the scripture, it goes back and forth. John, John sees a little, bit, a little bit here. Then he goes back and sees a little bit more in a different perspective, different light as to the judgments that are coming. And, and so that's the way it goes, back and forth, back and forth. 
So with that in mind, I want you to, con uh, let's, let's conclude this study in Revelation 16. So I told you to keep your finger there. Let's go back to Revelation 16. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Now remember, Babylon is going to be dealt with in the next couple of chapters. So keep that in mind as to time frame. The great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. The mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. This follows a description of the pouring out of the sixth vial or bowl judgment leading to Armageddon. And you can read it yourself there in, in Revelation 16. The, the previous verses speak about the preparation for, for Armageddon. So when is that? that? That's within the day of the Lord, the time frame of the day of the Lord. Now, let me give you a quick rundown now. Quick rundown. Chapter 17 deals with mystery Babylon. Chapter 18 deals with the fall of Babylon. And don't forget the connection between Babylon and the Antichrist or the beast and the false prophet and all of that. Then chapter 19 deals with the marriage supper of the Lamb. It shows us Jesus in all of his glory of, on a white horse ready to lead his hosts into this particular battle, which isn't much of a battle. When you read it uh, there in chapter 19, it's like, did I miss something? <laughs> That's what's going to happen. I mean, you know, he's going to go into battle and those forces will be destroyed like that. So the victory of the, uh, of the Lamb over the kings of the earth. That's chapter 19. Chapter 20 then begins with Satan being bound for a thousand years. Now notice... It's a description of what's happening after all these things have taken place, followed by, listen, followed by a description of the first resurrection and second death and the last judgment. That does not mean that it's happening. It's just followed with the description of what takes place. That's why I say we cannot count this as being chronological because the first re resurrection there would, 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 not, would not fit the, 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 the whole scenario. And then not even the second death, because then you're talking about moving it. I mean, you're, you're like, that's why it's a, it just seems an impossibility to try to put all of the heaven and earth changing at the end. So with that in mind, then chapter 21 begins with John saying, or seeing, I should say, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So he sees that chronologically after the last judgment or if you read 
the beginnings of each of the chapters. Look at what it says. And after these things, chapter 19, chapter 20, and I saw an angel come down from heaven. Chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. But in between, there's all kinds of things that are kind of given description of so that you know what's going to be happening. Yet he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Yet we haven't finished with everything else yet. That when we deal with, with, the, uh, with, the, with the day of the Lord. So John sees the new heaven and new earth. And this would follow logically, folks. Listen, it would follow logically after Satan is bound at the beginning of the millennial reign. Not at the end. So, I'm, I, I'm just wanting to put this all together and, you know, whatever happens, we know it's going to happen God's way. But if, if we follow along logically, then this seems to fit that particular premise that I began with a couple of weeks ago, carried it on last week, and here we are at the end of our time, and hopefully it makes some sense. But I also wanted to make it clear that the day of the Lord is a day that we do not want to ever see on this earth ourselves. By the way, it is a day that God does not want his people to have to see or experience or endure. Therefore, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. And who's going to hear that shout? Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. With the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. So let's conclude with this last point because I want you to know something about the day of the Lord that we didn't discover with our, with our uh, other points. The day of the Lord will be a day of great godly deliverance. And all of the examples are in Joel chapter 2 and 3. Joel 2 verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him, of the evil. And notice at the end of that chapter, verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And what does Paul do? Paul takes this message and puts it in the book of Romans. And he says, And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then lastly, Joel chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion. Where? My holy mountain. 
Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. The same message that Ezekiel gave. Well, the same message that was given to Ezekiel to give to the people. And so I guess we can say we're done with Ezekiel tonight. Amen? Amen. Keep looking up. Your redemption draws near. Well, praise the Lord. We made it on time, too. Right on time. That's only taken me 34 years to do that.